and welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Be Uncluttered. I'm Rebecca Mazzino and with me is Tara Tuttle and together we're going to help you on your journey to a life free of clutter. And today we are going to have a bit of a chat about culling sentimental clutter. This can be a pretty emotive topic and one that's quite close to both Beck and my hearts. It's a highly normal urge to hold on to things that we've got an emotional attachment to. They appear to give that same kind of comfort as a teddy bear or a dummy might to a child, like a level of security. But problems really start to arise when there's no limits to the amount of sentimental stuff we hold on to. And that's what we'd like to delve into today, where you've got a lot of sentimental clutter and how to reduce that without being overcome with guilt. Guilt is actually a really interesting word to use for this because a lot of people don't see their sentimental clutter as evoking a guilty feeling. They actually see their emotional clutter as evoking a love feeling um, or a loving emotion. But actually guilt is a lot more evident than, than you would expect. One thing I would say with sentimental clutter is if you are on your decluttering journey, wherever you may be, or if you're thinking about starting, don't start with sentimental clutter. Put this mm. to number 99 on your list of things to declutter. You've got to start decluttering small and build momentum. So don't say, today is the day I'm going to declutter my house. Right, I'm going straight to the box of stuff my grandmother gave me after after mm. my granddad died. That No way. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is a bad place to start. Yeah, you need exactly. to... You need to start small and build up it's a bit like a muscle decluttering and I feel like sentimental declutter is a very heavy weight to lift and you need some serious decluttering muscle before you get to that yeah exactly um we do need to to work your way up to it and and also for for a lot of sentimental clutter as well you need to experience you need to go through a grieving process whereas with practical clutter you know it's it's much um less necessary but for a lot of people they do need to grieve both the loss of the items but also sometimes if these items belonged to somebody that has passed they actually grieve the loss of that person again and so it's actually a dual grieving process and so you're right it packs quite a punch and um it's not something to be rushed into and if you are going to be grieving again, you need to give yourself time to do that. And so sometimes when you are decluttering, what you can do is start with the easy stuff, but start like a pre-contemplative look at your sentimental and emotional clutter. And so you sort of think, okay, I'm going to have to, to go through that at some point and start to just mull it over in the back of your mind. Don't do it consciously, but just in the back of your mind while you're doing other things um, can also help as well because you can start that grieving process before you actually are uh, faced head on with it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think you've, got, you've really got to avoid doing it while you're in the depths of the initial grief. grief. So if you've lost a loved one, don't think, right, you know, their funeral was last week, this week we're going to go in and, and sort all their belongings and get rid of everything. I know sometimes there needs to be some kind of expedience with the process, mm. but don't declutter the things of theirs that you're attached to. You can declutter the other stuff, but immediately you've, because 
time does have a tendency to heal some of those emotions. So, and even things I've had someone want to declutter their kids' rooms two weeks after they've moved off to move into state to go to uni. And they, mm. they've suddenly been faced with this empty nest syndrome. And then they're looking at their, their kids' paintings from primary school. And, you know, they're overwhelmed because mm. all of a sudden they're, they're restarting their new life as parents and a couple but with no children at home. And it's like it's too much too soon. You need to mm. grieve your new situation and grieve your children leaving and, and then come back in a bit of time and try again and, and do it in waves. Mm. And I had um, an example from when, so my mother died about 15 years ago and one of the things that I was really attached to of hers, she, my mum loved reading Maeve Binchy books and she had everyone that had ever been released to that point. And I was like, I need them, I want them. That's a link, that's an attachment to my mum. So I have carted these Maeve Binchy books around the world with me. My husband is in the military and moves for work, so we have moved a lot of times interstate and overseas. And this big set of books, I'm talking possibly 30 books, Mm. came with me as my little anchor to my mum. And to start with, I was like, I will never get rid of these. This is my link to my mother. But... As time went on, I read a couple of them. Maeve Binchy, great author, not really my kind of style. So I didn't keep reading them. So I was not keeping them to read them. I was keeping them to be connected to my mum. And I found that slowly going through it in waves, I could declutter them. And one thing I found is that one item, my mum, the first one she ever bought was called Tara Road, fancy that. Uh And... um, that I have kept that. That one item mm. triggers the exact same level of security and attachment as the 30 books did. So it was, for me, it was about saving the best and donating the rest because I didn't need to give that collection an entire shelf of my bookshelf. I only needed one. I only want that, that one trigger to mum and her love of reading and those books and what that evoked in her. And so I think then for me it was about setting a limit about how many items Hmm. rather than keeping the whole lot. And you've hit the nail right on the head with what I say to my clients uh, is exactly that, is that when we're keeping something for a sentimental reason, we're keeping it because it meets an emotional need of some kind. And quite often we can have that emotional need met by a sample of the sentimental belongings we're keeping rather than all of them. And so, you know, like the books, um, you know, 17 of grandma's vases. So, you know, you might find that three of grandma's vases provide exactly the same emotional need. So I call them the warm fuzzies. So you're keeping something for the warm fuzzies. So if you can still get your warm fuzzies from two vases, then you don't need the 17 in order to have those emotional needs met. So I do exactly the same thing um, with my clients is, you know, how much is is enough um, that you can still have your emotional needs met, but you're not drowning in stuff. And, you know, like you um, I have my, um, you know, my dad also passed away the same year that, that your mum did and he used to make wooden furniture. And so we had quite a bit of wooden furniture in our house that was made by dad and we renovated and we had two wardrobes in the house, one that he had made for my mum 
back in the 80s. And I had another one that he made when I was pregnant with my first um, child, Zoe. Um, so that's 16 years ago. And we had those two and we couldn't, when we renovated, we put built-ins in and we just couldn't fit both of the wardrobes in. And we do have a pool house, which I could fit one wardrobe in, but there was definitely no room for two. And so I had to, I had basically came to the conclusion that I couldn't keep it. And it was just so difficult to decide, you know, to, to get rid of that. And I just counseled myself the same way I would with clients. And I said, you know, you still have the one that he made for Zoe, you know, when, when you're pregnant. And that one actually is a lot more personal. There's a lot more love in that one. And the, the other one, it was okay for me to let go of. And, you know, when I, when I, I sold it on Gumtree actually to a lady and she came and collected it and I just told her through my tears you know, my dad had made it and that she had to look after it and, and all of this. And she was just wonderful. And she said, oh, I'm going to, I love it. It's fantastic, you know. And so, you know, there was that, there was that grieving process, but I could still go and get my warm fuzzies from the other furniture that dad had made that we have kept and that I won't part with. Um, I've just kept a, a, a portion of, of the stuff that he's made rather than, you know, all of it. I still have, you know, at least five pieces that he's made. So I'm definitely getting all my warm fuzzies, but I do definitely understand how difficult it is to part with something. But um, when I think about it now, I get emotional when I talk about the process, but I don't get emotional when I talk about the actual wardrobe itself. It's, it's fine. When I remember it, I don't get upset. And that's, that's another thing as well is sometimes we think that the grief of parting with something is going to last forever and that we're going to feel that bad forever. And we don't. It, it still hurts, but it changes. And I think as well, and this is something that I had to get sorted in my head, but once I did, it's been so enlightening and freeing. And now I talk to my clients about this as well, is that notion that the memory of the person, if it's something you're keeping of someone that's passed, or if you're keeping it of an event that happened, the memory is actually not in the physical object. The memory is in us. Mm. And so the physical object might be the trigger for that memory, but that memory is embedded in our psyche. And you, you can't, unless you undergo some horrendous brainwashing, mm -hmm lose those memories so mm. all you need to do is find a new trigger so possibly taking a photograph and you know we'll discuss some more options that we can use a bit later on in the show but if you can find another way if you had a photograph of that cupboard mm. that would still trigger the warm fuzzies of your mm -hmm. father you don't actually need to take up that prime real estate in your house to to get the retain the memory of mm. your father yeah that's it yeah. and so I, I think that's something that for me was really like a light bulb moment that that memory is in me. It's not in the object. There's that object is yeah. actually inanimate. It can't remember. It yeah. is me that's placing that memory onto that item and giving it that, yeah. that level of sentimental value. And there's so many different ways that we can find triggers that we don't even set up ourselves. You know, I can be, I can, I can be reminded of dad when I see someone on the street that looks like him, you know, and I don't even plan that. I don't store that, but it just happens. And, you know, you can get those, those feelings. There's a, a song that, that never, ever ceases to remind me of my uncle. And, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, I, anytime I can have nothing else and I will still remember him when I hear that song. And um, not only do I remember him, but I sort of remember a part of my childhood as well. There's this, this whole lot wrapped up in this one song. 
And another time I was with a, a client and I was helping her declutter her mother's handbags and her mother had died about 10 years earlier and she'd kept them in the cupboard and she knew it was time to declutter and she was making decisions on them and passing me the unwanted ones and I was putting them in a box to go to charity and I was opening each one up and getting, you know, taking out the tissues and making sure it was clean and everything. And I just, I gasped and I was like, ah! And she looked at me, she said, oh, what, is there something gross in one of the bags? And I said, no, it smells like my grandma. <laughs> and I sort of put my face in this handbag and, you know, she looked at me really weirdly and said, you can have that if you like. And I said, no, 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 it's fine. I'll just smell it for a bit and then I'll move on. But it was, you know, it was lovely. I've got another little box that I got something of grandma's in that also smells like her perfume. Um, and, you know, so I don't even need to keep that box because she can still pop up anywhere. You know, she can pop up at, at, at a client's house when I open up a handbag or something. There's my grandma. Um, and it was just lovely. And so we, we do, we do forget that we have lots of ways to remember people and, and things by that. We don't necessarily need to keep everything that reminds us of them. So if, we're going to start looking at sentimental clutter. If we're at that point on our journey where that's the next box or the next cupboard to tackle, have you got any tips for us, Beck? Where do we start? Well, slow and steady and in small bursts, I think, is a, a good start because, um, or one item at a time if it's a big thing like the wardrobe or something like that. But if you, if you try and go too hard you'll experience decision fatigue and decision fatigue actually makes us more risk adverse so we tend to when, once we start getting tired after making several decisions we tend to keep more and more the tighter we get so it's not going to be helpful so if you do it in short little bursts when your energy is high then you're less likely to make unhelpful keeping decisions another thing you can do is is get independent help like a professional like us. I had a client once who had lost her husband five years earlier and he, he was very young um, when he died. It was quite traumatic and it had taken her a long time. And, and she said to me at the end of it, the process, she said, I'm so glad I got you to come and do this instead of my friends. She said, because we all just would have lost it and we would have lasted half an hour and we wouldn't have been able to finish the project. And we, we'd only spent two hours together. It wasn't a really long time. But she said there's no way she would have lasted that time because she needed somebody to ground her during it. And I think sometimes that getting someone professionally that is removed emotionally, that still cares, but has that one level of, of emotional removal that can then ground you. Yeah, I've had a situation with a client with a, with a granddaughter trying to decide what of her grandmothers to keep and she'd come a long way along the path and we'd worked out what was really important to her and what was just excess and so you know she possibly had you know four or five items on her kitchen table that she had decided to keep and a few boxes of things that she was letting go of her grandmothers but during the process her mother arrived who was the daughter of the grandmother and she came in and said oh you can't get rid of this oh no and Oh, it was, it put us back. We basically had to wait for mum to have a cup of tea and go. And then we started again because mm. she'd kind of put all of her guilt and her attachment and her sentimentality around those items back onto the daughter mm. because she felt really invested in them as well. And I said to her during the process, I said, look, if you feel like you have a real attachment to the crockery set, 
that was once owned by your mother. Would you, would you like it? Because your daughter has decided that it's time for her to let that go, that that's not adding value. So if you're so attached, would you like to take it with you? You know, cause we would love to find a new home, a meaningful home. And she's like, no, I don't want it. Mm-hmm. I just don't want her to get rid of it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, right here, have a cup of tea and we'll start again in an hour. Yeah. But that, and it was really hard. And I felt like it, it really set us back. And a lot of people that I've spoken to when they do get us in quite often, they've already tried with a family member or a spouse, but because, if that person has in some level of investment as well, it can be really counterproductive. Yeah, it can. I, I hear that a lot from, from clients saying that their family members keep telling them that they have to declutter, but then telling them off <laughs> for getting rid of stuff. And so these yeah. poor people are like, well, what do I do? You know, I, I, you're saying I've got too much stuff, but then you're saying, oh, no, you can't throw that out. Um, and it's, yeah, it can be very counterproductive. I mean, everyone means well, but sometimes they're just a bit too close. Mm. And I think then the next step along is that when you've figured out what it is that you're keeping or the number of items that you're keeping, you've got to remember to revisit them because your relationship with them changes over time. Yeah, like you um, the books, yeah. That's it. And things that I was really attached to in the first five years no longer held that level of attachment to me later on, or they stopped being useful. And things like I have my great-grandmother's, it's a little single-use teapot. It holds one cup of tea, and I use that every morning for my first cup of the day. And at the moment, I use it. I love it. But heaven forbid I stop drinking tea. I can't see that happening. But if it did, (laughs) in 10 years' time, if I decided I'm coffee or nothing, then I would look at that item and say, well, it doesn't add value anymore. So, you know, I can let it go. So I think you've got to, you've kind of, you do it in waves and revisit those items occasionally because your needs change and and your attachment changes as well. Yeah, it's a bit like peeling an onion. You just do it. Yeah, that's right. Bit by bit. I've got a couple of questions that we, I regularly ask clients as well about sentimental clutter. One of them is why is it significant? So, find the memory or the emotion that it evokes and then go through that process of can we find that memory elsewhere or can we help you trigger that memory without keeping the item and then I always ask them will you use it or display it or will it be in a box because a lot of people hold on to things that they are attached to but then they don't celebrate those items so Mm -hmm. unlike my little teapot that I use every day they keep things of someone's but they're in the box buried at the back of the wardrobe never to be seen and I feel like you you're not really honoring that memory of the event or the person or whatever when these things are buried do you agree with that yeah I agree I think that if you can declutter a proportion of your sentimental belongings then you can honor the ones that are left by using them or displaying them somewhere and I think when we talk about, when I talk about memories with people, it's amazing and kind of surprising how often the memory is not even their memory. It's someone else's memory that they're holding on to. So I had, I had something very recently. Some of my mum's clothes I've held on to. Nothing was, was nothing modern, but a lot of like her funky black Levi's jacket from the late seventies, which is super cool. And I wore it during my teenage years and I've held on to it and I'm hoping my kids will wear it. If they don't, maybe I'll have to put it on my dog or something. Cause I'd really (laughs) love to see 
love to see it in use again. It's so cool. But so there was a couple of really cool items that my mum had owned that I wanted to hold on to. And one of them was this cream and charcoal striped velvet skirt suit. Sounds horrendous. Mm-hmm. Kind of, it's, it almost looks like it could be curtains, made out of curtains, but it's so cool. And I remember holding on to that because my mum said she, she my mum was a nurse and her first ever paycheck, she went out, she'd been looking in the window of this store and seeing this striped suit and she was like, oh, if only I had the money to buy that. So the day she got her first paycheck from her first week of nursing, she walked in and spent her entire paycheck on that suit. Oh. And that was it. And then she lived on bread and water for the next week yeah. until she got paid again. But she had this suit. So my mum had told me the story about this. And then so after she passed and we'd gone through some clothes and I decided to keep this this suit, I was holding on to this. I have I have I never saw my mum wear it. I think I'd seen her pull it out once or twice and tell the story and pack it back away. But so the memory that it was triggering in me wasn't even the memory of it being bought. It was my mum's memory. My mum held on to it because it triggered a memory for her. But my memory was just of her telling of her memory. So once I kind of pulled that all apart, teased it out, I'm like, actually there is no sentimental attachment. The, The attachment to this suit is in the story that my mum told me about the suit. But my mum told me a lot of stories over her lifetime, my lifetime, and this is not a a particularly significant one of them. And once I kind of figured that all out in my head, I was able to part with it. And it it comes up a lot. People hold on to things, especially grandparents and great-grandparents, that they never encountered in their Mm. interactions with them but they're they're things that people hold on to because someone else has told them of their memory and then you get attached to someone else's memory so I think yeah it's quite an interesting idea there yeah that's a really interesting insight and I think that would really help some people who are trying to part with their sentimental items to look at it that way you know whose whose memory is it you know, there's lots of different questions to ask ourselves when we're looking at our sentimental items. And, you know, a lot of people keep things that are part of, that they feel like are a part of them. So one thing I encounter a lot is uh, academics who keep all of the resources for all of their thesis uh, or any of their study and they don't need it anymore. They They have their degree or their doctorate or their master's and they don't need any of those things anymore. They're out of date or superseded in some way. But I've, I've had several people use these words and they say, I put my heart and soul into that. That represents blood, sweat and tears. And if all of that paperwork goes, if all of those folders go, it meant nothing. And it's a really profound thing for them to say. And it's actually not true. It doesn't mean nothing. You know, if the folders are gone, you still did all of that stuff. You still experienced it or you still put your heart and soul into it. And you don't need to prove that. There's no reason that you need to prove that. You, you, obviously you need to prove, may need to prove you have a doctorate or a degree, but you don't need to prove it through folders and folders and binders and piles and piles of heavy textbooks. But it often feels to people that without that stuff, that a whole big chapter of their life just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. 
that's right. And I think people feel parting with some of these items, they liken it to losing a limb or something like these are the things. These are the items yeah. that have made me me. Yeah, yeah. And and it's it's about getting past that and thinking you are a complete being and all of that knowledge and all of those memories are all inside of you. They're mm. not they're not external. Yeah. Um so bearing that in mind then, can you think of some ways Beck that people retain the memory but let go of the ice? And what are things you do with your clients to help them keep the triggers without keeping all the stuff? Uh, well, the first is what you said before with the boundaries. So keeping a sample. Um, so if you have five things that trigger one memory, then you could part with four of those things and just keep one of them. Or it, it might even just be like a phase of your life. You know, so you might have gone through in the 90s, you might have gone through a real band episode and you went and saw a concert after concert after concert and you bought a band T-shirt at every one of those concerts. Rather than having each of those, keeping each of those T-shirts, you could keep two or three of those t-shirts that represent that entire period you don't necessarily need to remember every single concert but you can have a few that say oh that, that was this represents my my concert era when I just went and saw as many concerts as I could and yeah, using that sort of sample you can also take photos one thing that I did is I had this little doll during my childhood I can't remember how I got it I think my mum might remember where it came from but it was a little doll and she sat on a little turning music box. And so you wound, wound her up and she played raindrops keep falling on my head while she just circled in a circle. And she was very lovely. She had like very seventies brown and orange dress on with the ruffles and the frills and the lace. Mm -hmm. And I really did. I did love her and I kept her and I gave her to my daughter when she was about four way too early unfortunately because she broke it within an hour and so my poor my poor little doll was wobbling on her axis as she wound oh, around no. and I thought well I can't I, there's no point keeping her because she's broken and the music would still play but she wasn't attached anymore so I kind of fashioned up a, a little temporary attachment and sort of glued her sticky taped her to the thing turned it on and I videoed her going around in circles playing her song and then I threw her away and so I have that video because I, a picture wouldn't have been enough because for me it was that that raindrops keep falling on my head song in this mm -hmm. um, music box kind of music, and that that was the main trigger for you know the warm fuzzies about my childhood um, more so than what she looks like. And I can remember vaguely what she looks like now. I don't you know wouldn't need a picture necessarily to remember what she looked like, but I, I, the memory of the music is it just brings a whole lot more than just her flooding back it brings a whole lot of memories of my childhood flooding back and so I took a video of it uh, and I, I, I once recommended to a client who was having real difficulty coming to terms with her parents selling the family home I said walk around the house with a video and talk just the same way because she did it with us she walked us around the house and it was an absolutely amazing house it was it was a time warp of the seventies. It had like they had carpet in the bathroom and up the walls. Um, <laughs> it was just incredible, and um, it was very swinging. And it was it was the most amazing house. And she was very attached to it. And she as she sort of walked us around, showing us the house. She told us all the stories about all of the individual things. And oh, they had a round bed as well, which was very cool. Oh, um, cool. 
And she, she saw all the stories about, you know, she would say, oh, my parents were really cool and they did this and they did that. And I said, you need to do this again with a video camera. Walk around because, you know, you, you're not going to be happy parting with this house unless you've done that. And um, she was actually putting up a lot of resistance to her father selling the house and he was struggling because she was putting up a fight and um, she needed to let go. And doing that video really helped her to let go and it gave him um, permission then to, to sell the house without upsetting her. Um, so a video um, can work really well as well. And write down your stories, you know, write down the stories of the objects before you when you part with the object. Um, a lot of clients, when we do downsizing, I will recommend they take photos of all the items and then make up a photo book and write the stories about the items on the photo book so that you can, instead of bringing 17 boxes of ornaments, you bring a photo book of ornaments and all of the stories and they can still trigger all of the same memories. And I think, I think you can create new memories while getting rid of the old items as well. We did... It was a, one of the most therapeutic things for me after my mum passed away. We got all the significant women in our family. That sounds terrible, but as in my mum, my mum's mum and my dad's mum, my mum's sister, uh, two sisters, sorry, and my dad's sister and myself. And we all, as a bunch of women, set aside a day to go through my mum's wardrobe. And a bit of time had passed. And the process was we were giving 99% of things to charity, but, you know, I think my auntie kept a shirt and um, my grandma kept a scarf. And so we all kind of kept one or two things that belonged to my mum. But that day was, now I have this amazing memory of the mm. day of parting because we pulled things out one by one and different, some items came out and we went, oh, yes, that's mum's denim shirt. Okay, carry on. Then a dress would come out that I'd never seen before and my mum used to hang on to lots of things. And my nana would say, oh, I remember she wore that to so-and-so's wedding. Oh, and don't you remember how much it rained that day? And we'd all had our hair done. And, <laughs> and all we, by the time we got to the church, we all looked so miserable because our hair was flat. Da, da, da. You know, and then so this day was like a day full of reminiscing. Mm. And we parted with these items, but we all left with a new memory of this wonderful day of sharing together. So um, it was we created memories while getting rid of, the, all the stuff and yeah. I think that was a really nice kind of bridging moment for me as well getting from the old to the new and still still yeah, creating new that's memories. a fantastic idea I love that and I think if we dispose of our sentimental items with great intention it can help as well just thinking about where they're going sometimes I mean it does create a bit more work and so I'm sort of sometimes reticent when people are have heavy like large amounts of clutter to part with but if you if you don't have really large amounts and you do have the time you can think really intentionally about where things go um you know you can grandma's unfinished tapestry could go to a, a local tapestry club or to the country women's association or somewhere where they will finish tapestries and then donate them for charity or quilts um and things like that so uh, wedding dresses, you know, you, you can donate your wedding dress to angel gowns where they make gowns for babies who um, didn't survive childbirth. And and so there's lots of things that, you know, you can do to, like you said, they sort of create a new memory, but it gives they give a bit of meaning to that process of letting go as well. And it can form part of the grieving process and, and really help put closure around the whole thing. Yeah, and I think that really helps with that feeling of guilt as well if you know where it's going and you know it's going to be loved mm. um, or used 
then you don't have that that guilt that it's you've just disposed of it without thinking about where it's going or without loving it or yeah, without honouring the person that mm. it reminds you of or that gave it to you. And we have to be careful that we don't overstate that, that because sometimes we do put too much of an emphasis on what other people think. And, you know, like you were saying before with, with family members who can influence, we can we can imagine the, that influence ourselves, you know. So I when I was thinking of parting with, with Dad's wardrobe, I, I got permission from Mum and, you know, she was totally okay with it. But I was terrified to even mention it to her for weeks because I was afraid that she would think I was being, you know, heartless. And, of course, she didn't. She understood completely and she was very understanding and, but I had that, you know, those weeks of, of sort of worrying about what other people are going to think. And sometimes when we do part with family heirlooms, that guilt is, is there because we do worry about what everybody else is going to think. And I think it's important to either ignore that as best you can or actually be honest and talk to them and, and you'll find that they're probably perfectly okay with it. And if they're not okay with it, then the, the responsibility for parting with the bong can get, get placed on them instead, perhaps. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. So hopefully today we've given you some tips and some insights into dealing with sentimental clutter and perhaps if that's something that you're faced with at the moment that perhaps it will be a little bit easier now. I hope that you can join us on our next episode where we're going to be talking about raising uncluttered kids. Thanks for joining us. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please subscribe or leave a review or rating. Please feel free to tell your friends about us if they too would like to be uncluttered. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us at beuncluttered.com.au or via Facebook and Instagram or on our personal pages at clearspace.net.au and basklifecoaching.com.